Welcome to the SBC History Podcast, the podcast that covers people, places, and events from the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. We tell stories about people you know and people you don't to shine light on the past so it can help guide us in the present. Welcome back, Luke. Welcome back. It's good to be back. I, uh, we've been all over the map, it feels like, since we recorded last time, but here, we're, here yep. we are. How, how are things up your way? Yeah, pretty good, you know. Uh, busy getting ready for the big Thanksgiving holiday. Got some meat on the smoker. You know, nothing says Thanksgiving like burnt meat. You know what I mean? So I uh, got some uh, meat on the smoker. Do you do turkey or ham? Both. See, we have, uh, and this year, as if our, re- our listeners really care, but uh, you're going to hear because you give to the cooperative program and you listen to our podcast, I did a dirty bird is what they call it, a um, little spicy turkey. And then I've got a spicy barbecue ham, and then I have a really sweet uh, brown sugar ham in the smoker. So, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Hopefully it'll be good. They smell good. I smell like smoke, so it's a good smell to me. That's good. Well, things are good down here in the uh, Shady 580. That's what they Ooh, call I it. I love it. Ever, Shady 580. Yeah. Ever heard of that? 580 area code shady 580 yeah so it has been a while since we've been to episodes i have some very good reasons would you like to hear them uh hit me with them let me hear them uh i had a very sick llama i ate some cat food because i confused it for tuna uh, i went to walmart got my arm stuck in one of those blood pressure machines you know Ouch. and uh don't act like you've never done that my mm-hmm. uh, it was a family thing. My grandmother had to be exhumed for a police investigation. Wow. And then I just got really behind in work and school and all those things. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of those is the true one, and I'll let you pick which one you think. But today I want to explore the life of a man whose name you've probably heard, but the truth is you probably don't know much about, E.Y. Mullins. Yeah, I didn't know much about him either. I'm glad uh, this uh, has been put together for me. Um, you did a good job on the research here. You see the short bio of E.Y. Mullins. He was a professor, right, then the president of the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, also president of the SBC. Now, was he president of the convention while he was president of the seminary? Yes. All right, that's an even bigger deal. And uh, president of the Baptist World Alliance. I was going to say the... Uh, BWA, which is Baptist with Attitude, but I didn't think that joke would fly. Um, and uh, he was the principal friend of the 25 Baptist Faith and Message. We are studying E.Y. Mullins as this month marks the 90th anniversary of his death, November 23rd to be exact. I think it's important that we know about these men and women who have gone on before us in Baptist life. And he had a really large impact on Southern Baptist life, one that you can even still feel today. Mullins was born in Mississippi, January 1860. His father was a Baptist minister. They wanted to escape some of the calamity of this civil war, and so he moved his young family to Corsicana, Texas. That's the middle of Texas, about 60 miles south of Dallas. They moved there. He planted uh, what became First Baptist Church, Corsicana. So the SBC has been planting churches for a long time, huh? Yes, I don't know if that was a sin city or what, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, the whole so mission he, Sin City. Yeah. yeah, he moves down there to plant that church. His son E.Y. Mullins is five, and he desires for his son to become a minister. Lots of pastors want that for their sons, you know. Not me, man. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no way. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not sure I want my daughters to marry one. So, <laughs> but uh, Ey Mullins did not want that. He wanted to become a lawyer, and he set out to do so. He became an expert telegrapher. He paid his way through Agricultural and Mechanical College of Texas, Texas A&M, that is, from yeah, uh, 1876 to 1879. You know what they say? Gigum, I think. Yeah, hmm. something like that. Yes. So here's what I find interesting. Um, so this guy grows up in a pastor's house, right? Grows up as a you know pastor's son, PK, right? But he didn't get saved until he was an adult. So yeah, I mean that's crazy. It's also super encouraging, you know. No matter what we you know want for our kids, right, or desire for them, that God totally is in control. Yeah. It's good, you know, I, I've been reading, I've read several stories about notable Baptists who, there's just as many who become Christians as children as who become Christians as, as adults. Lottie Moon didn't get saved until she was as an adult. It's just, really? you never know when the Lord is going to move on someone's heart. Yeah, He he did come to Christ when he was 20, and uh, under the preaching of a man named William Evander Penn, he, he was a uh, big-time Baptist evangelist, and he was converted in a revival meeting in Dallas, Texas. He was baptized by his father in Corsicana in 1880, and he felt called to ministry a few months later, so he entered Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the fall of 1881. Uh, he was well-respected as a student in the seminary. He was selected to preach at graduation, and the school, he was a student, was full of strong theological convictions, men like Boyce and Manley and Broadus. It was a good place to be at that time yeah no kidding so he was uh desiring to go on the mission field but his doctor advised him not to go right so right. He, he takes this pastorate in kentucky uh serves there then moves to a church in baltimore uh and then along the way he gets married has two kids uh which i find which sad but probably more common then um just because of just the, just the world that they lived in uh, that both of his children died at a young age. Uh, so yeah. tragedy struck in his life. Now, after Baltimore, he briefly became the associate recording secretary of the Foreign Mission Board, right? The now yeah. IMB. Uh, he didn't like that job. So he moved back to the pastorate and served there until 1899. Now, it was there or then, I guess, that uh, he was asked to become the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So he followed, get this, what a great name, William Witsit. Witsit. I just love it. Anyways, he had resigned under some controversy. Shocking, right? Controversy in the Southern yeah. Baptist life? No way. Especially seeing yeah, the presidents. Yeah, the blogs were all over him for some stuff he said about <laughs> the history of the Baptist and whatnot. So. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, he Mullins served as president of the seminary from 1899 until his death in 1928. Wow. He, during his tenure, the school experienced phenomenal growth. He doubled the size of the faculty. He doubled the size of enrollment from 256 to 501. And during his tenure, Southern was the largest seminary in the world, just like it is still today, I think. Yeah. He made possible several endowments. He moved the seminary. It was in downtown Louisville, and it moved out to its present location. It allowed the space for the school to grow more and those things. And during this time, he also served as SBC president from 21 to 
24. It wasn't a two year thing like we have now. There are men who served nine or 10 years. So, uh, there you go. and later he served as president of the Baptist World Alliance right before his death. He was uh, known, right, as the premier statesman of the uh, convention yeah. of the SBC. Now, for a while, Southern was the only SBC seminary, and still to many people today, Southern is the only SBC right. seminary. Anyhow, Southwestern didn't get its charter up and going until 1908. So uh, it was the only seminary, and during his tenure, it grew by leaps and bounds. Uh, and, and, of course, to be expected, somebody like Mullins, right? Uh, he, right. He authored many books, right? Some of his most famous books were The Axioms of Religion, why is Christianity true? And Christianity at the crossroads. Bum 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 bum. See you at the crossroads. Oh, he didn't write that song. Crossroads. Oh, okay. Anyways, well, he influenced the SBC through his books, but more by his chairmanship of the 1925 committee that wrote the Baptist Faith and Message. Uh, it was a first of its kind statement for the SBC, and an important one at that. I think. Uh, Obviously, that worked on that. Uh, there was a London Confession being used, even by some churches still then? Uh, some so, around yeah. there were different confessions gotcha. that they used here and there, yeah. Uh, Philadelphia, I think, Compact or whatever that was called. Anyhow, maybe that's a history deal. I don't know. Mullins and the others set out to define what Baptists believe in a way that really made room for everybody underneath a, a, a big tent, right? Yeah. And this is probably his biggest influence. His desire for inclusion led to historian Thomas Nettles. He called him a reluctant evangelical. If you use that word today about somebody in the SBC, you know, it might be considered a slur or something like mm -hmm. that. But in that time period in America, there are two main forces among the religious. There's the J. Frank Norris type of fundamentalist. He was the pastor at First Baptist Fort Worth. He shot a man in his office what? and was accused of arson. And That's a whole other podcast. You know, there was right? a, a preacher at First Baptist Hennessy that carried a gun in his pulpit back in the, back in the <laughs> 20s. I, that's the truth. It's the truth. And so he, uh, he J. Frank Norris was a big F fundamentalist. <laughs> he wanted to be combative with everybody. He had fights all the that time. And, and Right now, on the other side were the the modernist men like uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick, those who they wanted to embrace liberalism and move past the old-fashioned doctrines. And so Mullins is in a tough spot. He's trying to strike a balance between the two, and it's a hard road. And so the Baptist faith and message shows some of that. He considered himself a little f fundamentalist. He held the doctrines of the faith, but he wanted to be a peacemaker, not a fighter. And so. During their conservative resurgence, leaders from both sides claimed that Mullins was on their side, right? He seems to hold the doctrines, the two things of soul liberty and inerrancy at the same time, that everyone is free to believe what they want to believe, so to speak, but that the Bible is true and inspired in God's Word, and, and some call them a moderate conservative. That sounds like a conflicting term. Sure. J.P. Boyce and John Broadus were firm Calvinists. And during his time at Southern Mullins, though, worked to bring the seminary to kind of a middle-of-the-road understanding of salvation. So that's why Calvinists and so-called traditionalists can lay claim to the Baptist faith and message, right? Yeah. He, he tried to find a middle-of-the-road way. Right? It's not as—the 
at Southern and they had the abstract of principles, which is a Calvinist document. Right. I mean, right. it was written by them and it's clearly Calvinist, but the Baptist faith, the message kind of steps away from okay. it. Right. And he tried to find middle of ground in lots of places. He believed in creationism, but he also worked to find a balance between religion and science. During that time, it was the scopes trials was going on over evolution and those things. And so uh, William Jennings Bryan was on one side and Shaler Matthews was on the other side uh, with Clarence Darrow. And they both asked Mullins to be on their side, on the right and the left, so to speak. And so it kind of shows that, that they thought he could be on their side, each of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, he put a large emphasis on the personal experience of the Christian, and that's an admirable thing in and of itself. But then this led to further compromise down the road and all these things. And so Al Mohler, in his article about him, is about his book, puts it this way, right? Uh the central thrust of E.Y. Mullen's theological legacy is his focus on individual experience. And so whatever his intention, this massive methodological shift in theology set the stage for doctrinal ambiguity and theological minimalism, right? Now, these are not, this is me now, these are words you would not expect to hear about the president of Southern Seminary, exactly, right? Exactly, Doctrinal ambiguity and theological minimalism, Especially right? But this is what was going on at that time, right? Yeah. So uh, Muller goes on to say, the compromise Mullen sought to forge in the 20s was significantly altered by later generations, with personal experience inevitably gaining ground at the expense of revealed truth. Yeah. Well, you know, his pastorates had been in the north, right? Baltimore, right. Uh, near Boston. And so I... I'm, I'm certain that he was influenced by you know, his ideas or thoughts and even systems that were not prevalent in the South uh, at that time, right? right. Um, so Mullins wrote his own theology textbook that was used by Southern for 30 years. And, and in his books, he always leaned away from the classical doctrines of Calvinism that were taught by Boyce. Now, I, I don't want to say in any way that Mullins was a liberal. Don't, don't get me wrong, right? Uh, remember— right. We did say he was called a moderate conservative. Now, um, understanding that does mean something. Again, Moeller in his article on Mullins, he goes into greater detail about how, how some of his doctrines affected his views. And you might not believe this, Chris, but Al Moeller can explain it a lot better than I can. Surely and not. So, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, we have the link to that article in the show notes on sbchistory.com on the blog. But again, Mullins and his doctrines, his understanding of the Bible, particularly as it relates to the experience of the Christian and the Southern Baptist emergence as a road between the full acceptance of the ideas of modernism and the rejection of the fundamentalism of the independent Baptist, yeah. right? And it's it's interesting because isn't that a space we still find ourselves yeah, in, right? Absolutely. We're still kind of walking that road, mm -hmm. trying to not go all the way to the left, but the way the right has has gone sometimes now to not go all that way exactly. either, yeah. right? You know, one of Mullen's largest influences was on a guy many people know from around here was right. Herschel Hobbes, right? He was right. the you know Baptist statesman from Oklahoma City. Uh, pastored there at First Baptist, Oklahoma City, downtown, um, for many years, right? Um, yeah. Hobbs came to Southern shortly after Mullins died, but he said, these are things that Hobbs said, that, that he practically memorized 
theology books of E.Y. Mullins. Right. Hobbes revised and re-released the, the book, The Axioms of Religion, right? adding his notes to the work by Mullins. And when you think about right. the influence that Herschel Hobbes had on Baptist life, like through the middle yeah. of the 20th century, I mean, you really can see this giant shadow that Mullins cast right. over the, the convention as a whole, not just as the president of Southern, which is a big deal, obviously, right. but just even that he would have such a large overreach. And I don't mean like, you know, controlling people, but just an influence in a major way over tons of uh, tons of people in the SBC. Well, and Mullins wrote the 25 faith and message and Hobbes wrote the 63 faith and message, right? And Pretty so, incredible. Or chairman committee, however you want to say yeah. it. But, you know, they had a large influence on that. And he practically memorized his books. That's interesting. What what books did you memorize in college, Chris? Um, the Menu, the menu at, at Eskimo Joe's. At Hideaway, Hideaway Pizza. Pizza. Yeah, right. Hideaway Pizza at Eskimo Joe's. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a, uh, it's amazing to think that one person could have so much influence. But you know, I we call him a moderate conservative, and that's not, that's not necessarily a bad deal. In the conservative resurgence, one side was conservative, and one side were the moderates, mm-hmm. is what they call themselves, and the others called them liberals. You know, so we assign these names to people. But if I called you a moderate conservative, Chris, would that offend you? Um, no, no, I've been called a lot of things, Luke. <laughs> But no, that wouldn't that wouldn't offend me. I mean, because really, I think that that is saying that we're trying to hold to the middle ground and keep the important things, the important things and not fight over the things that don't matter. Um, And really, the other issue is I might hold to strong conservative and even Calvinistic teachings or leanings at times. But man, there's just no need to make that my mantra, you know, and then on the other side, I might hold to a what some of my conservative brothers might think are very liberal um, feelings right. on certain things, you know, um, I mean, just even amongst our friend circle that you and I run around with, I mean, I'm probably seen by some people as pretty moderate when it comes to uh, certain views. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty fair, um, I don't want to say top, but yeah. Yeah, description. I don't think moderate you know, conservative is a, is a bad thing. It seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, but in reality, it's not. And especially in the world today, we have to be careful about the terms That's we exactly use. You know, right. And, That's right. In the in the way they define us, but it's it's interesting to think that someone who was born in 1860, he was, could still have influence over the SBC mm-hmm. today. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. 1860. Crazy. You know, that's why I love this history mm-hmm. stuff. Is he? He was born. I mean, ages ago. I mean, that's old enough to make him my great 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 grandfather mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that, right? But he's. The doctrines he taught and he held to the Bible and all these things and the way he taught them and his inclusiveness and his focus on the individual experience, it still influences the SBC today, mm-hmm. right? I included several things in the show notes about uh, ways to uh, ways to learn more about him, the work by Thomas Nettles, who called him a reluctant evangelical, and the work by Moeller over his book on the axioms of religion and these things. And it's hard to find a stopping point because you could really do a deep dive. Look, it's like 5,000 words or something, which is just uh, like he does that to sleep. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you could really do a deep dive on Mullins and his life in the SBC, but I hope this encourages people to take a deeper look themselves into one of the giants of the SBC. There's lots to learn. There's some really good works out there that we include on that. So, That's awesome. Well, 
we encourage our listeners, you out there, uh, to take a look at some of these works, right? We've that uh, I say we've put together, but let's be honest, that Luke has put together for us. Um, and maybe you can find out some others on your own. There's several good uh, works by that you, you know you can find. The old Google machine is your friend. Um, and so go do that. Spend right. some time looking. Find some research. Uh, and uh, see what you can find up. And then after you're done with all that stuff, we'll see you next time on the uh, HBC History Podcast. We'll see you next time.